This is the eLearning Alchemist podcast. Welcome to the eLearning Alchemist podcast. I am your host, Clint Clarkson, and today we have the great pleasure of talking with Danielle Wallace about learner personas. Now, learner personas aren't a new idea, but Danielle comes at this from a slightly different angle because Danielle's background isn't in learning and development, but marketing. She was a marketing executive at Procter & Gamble as well as PepsiCo, so she's been around some of the best marketing teams in the world, and now she brings those talents to the world of learning and development. But to get us started, Danielle, why don't you tell us a bit about your history in marketing and how and why you transitioned into the corporate learning space? Thank you, Clint, and it's great to be here today. My journey into marketing started because while I was involved in my regular job of getting people to buy more Swiffer, buy more Doritos, <laughs> you know, helping, helping really fuel the world, I really was fueled by training and, and leading others. So I was part of the Procter & Gamble training team where I had the privilege of facilitating as well as creating various learning solutions that I also delivered. and. Likewise, at PepsiCo, I also sort of made that part of my role, even though it wasn't supposed to be. And I actually thought the higher up I could get in the company, the more I could train people. Um, Realities, as I'm sure you've worked with many different people in business, is I just had more P&L, profit and loss pressure. And I had very little time to actually do what I loved best. What I thought interesting during that time is I was using all these cool techniques to get people to buy more Mr. Clean, buy more Swiffer, buy more Doritos, buy more Sun Chips, amongst other products. All some of my favorites. Some amazing brands. But what was missing in my life was the ability to actually transform people and to actually help people to actually realize their own dreams through upskilling. And I left the corporate world and went into my own venture, Beyond the Sky, where I'm able to actually do the parts I love, create learning solutions to help people fulfill their own dreams. And here I am today. That's a great little summary. And we've run into each other at lots of different conferences over the past few years. And that sounds really consistent with the type of delivery that you give at conferences and the type of sessions that you host. So uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to hear that, that... It's true. As you move up, as you move up in leadership roles, you become busier and you lose the opportunity to do some of the things that you really enjoy. Certainly, we've seen this uh, from a leadership perspective, where uh, leaders transition from being more resonant early in their career to really more dissonant because they just don't have the same amount of time to do these things. So, I think that's a, a common story or a common theme in a lot of people's lives. Today, we're going to talk about learner personas, but let's stick with your marketing background here for a minute. How do marketers use personas? And so tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll transition into discussing it from a learning perspective. So as an example, when I was at Procter & Gamble, we created consumer personas. These are buyer personas that typify what your consumer may be. So specifically, our consumer, Cindy, that we created from Mr. Clean, we used her to help us better resonate with her. What that meant is through our research and data and then bringing her to life through a mannequin and photos, we were able at every turn to look at the language we were using in our communications and think, well, hey, would Cindy understand this? Even to 
the uh, executions that we might have in our marketing plans, you know, would would this re- this in-store execution actually resonate with Cindy? And even from a top of mind standpoint, as we were ideating on the best message avenues with which to target some of our new products, was thinking about, well, hey, would Cindy actually care that this is an environmentally friendly product? Or would she care that it helps provide a cleaner home for her family? So at every turn, the personas allowed us to get closer to the consumer and keep all the research that we had, keep it top of mind in a way that everybody could use. And it wasn't simply tucked away in our research reports. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is that it's easier for a person working in, in a, on a marketing team to look at Cindy and consider Cindy as a person and make that decision, make decisions about what should be done from a marketing perspective than to try and look at reports and look at data and try to understand what they need to to do from a marketing perspective that even though it's an imaginary imaginary person, having a person to look at gives the marketer an easier way to make decisions for marketing to that person. Exactly. It, you really, in the essence, well, in the case of learning, you design for the learner, not the demographic. So while on paper, our target was 25 to 54-year-old women um, who had two plus kids, et cetera, et cetera, you, whatever, right? Sort of blah. But when you suddenly color that demographic data, as well as attitudinal and psychographic data against a profile of a person, a persona, suddenly it comes to life and you're able to more clearly make better decisions. Okay, so when we talk about learners then, when we talk about learner personas, what is the same and what's different than when you're creating a persona for marketing? So in general, the process, at least the process that I follow is the same. And upon using the data, bringing it to life, the intended actions I have for my learner personas help me shape the messages I use with my learner persona, just like I would with my consumer persona. They also help me shape what tactics or learning solutions I may use. So very similar. What is different from my experience is the time and budget involved, quite frankly. In the marketing world, we had a bigger budget at stake. And our learner persona became part of that. So the rigor that we needed to gather data, create the persona was heightened. My budget was 150 million. And you don't want to deviate. I mean, you can have some pretty bad consequences if you deviate. I wish <laughs> I had that as a budget for any possible learning solution. <laughs> so what the big what that is amplified then from a different standpoint is the level of data that often we have access to for creating personas from scratch is a lot less. Um, And then going into that, the rigor and then the risks are a lot less accordingly. Right. For the L&D professionals listening to this episode who are skeptical of this idea, and I'm going to ask another question afterwards about that skepticism, but let's start with the positives. What is the biggest benefit of using learner personas in your mind? So for me, it's been beneficial to get all stakeholders involved, whether that's people, all the people, the right stakeholders in the business unit and learning development, instructional designers, getting everybody on the same page quickly to be able to either make the right decisions or better understand decisions. That's what I've seen as the biggest benefit. 
Right. So it gives you uh, a flag in the sand or an anchor point to point to when perhaps when there's conflict or disagreement, but also when you just need to pick a solution to point to somewhere and say, that's our target. So if that's where we're going, how are we going to make this decision? Which decision takes us in that to that place? Right. And even more uh, direct into that, though, it's the understanding of what decisions need to be made. So in the case of jargon and language use, uh, which is an example I I frequently find personas are being helpful in, is understanding, okay, the, taking a step back and thinking, well, would Ava understand this jargon? Oh, actually, no, she wouldn't. It's just us here in the room that actually understand it. Right. <laughs> it's taking that pause and look by keeping the persona top of mind. And it's much easier to do that in the setting of a persona than it is to go, okay, well, with this does this jargon make sense? Well, if I look at the demographics and the attitudinal information I have on my 50-page report, you know, if I decipher through this, it looks like her education level is high school plus, and this level of reading requirement is grade whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, just a harder, a harder activity to get everybody on board. Sure. And this isn't something that we discussed previously or prepared for previously, but this just sort of popped into my mind. So I want to throw this question out. Is there a risk with learner personas? I'm thinking specifically about millennials and the way that 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 group, that really an imaginary group, was vilified for a period of time. And is there a risk if we define somebody if we define a learner persona almost being inside a particular generation, is there a risk of bringing stereotype and is there a risk of bringing uh, unconscious bias into the persona and having that impact the learning in a negative way? So, yes, there is, uh, which is why the steps of gathering research and talking to people are important. But as I mentioned, it also comes with balances at play and just the realities of how much time and rigor is needed. So that is definitely something to be mindful of when creating a learner persona is firstly gathering the right data. So what you are basing upon is not amplified stereotypes, but it's instead actually grounded in data. And then as you just create the persona itself, that activity, just ensuring that within that you're not making unintended assumptions. Sure. Okay. Many L&D professionals have a learner base with tremendous variation in demographic, education, experience, attitudes. Are learner personas still applicable in those types of situations? Like with a call center where you might have a thousand people ranging from 19 to 60 and every variation of person in between. Are they still applicable in those types of scenarios? So my answer, I would say is yes. The challenge actually comes into play is to narrow down the personas. It's a much easier task if you look at your employee base and go, well, there's 20 roles. Okay, I'm going to have like 20 roles within this one department and say, okay, I'm going to have 20 personas for this one department. But the reality is, is that gets overly complicated and your persona for learning purposes, uh, creating learning solutions will not be useful. What is harder but creates better learning solutions is to take a step back and aggregate your personas somewhat and to use the data that you gather to be able to um, make higher level groups. Is there, is there an element of, and I'm probably getting too deep into what we're going to talk about in a moment, but let's run with it. Is there a, an element of 
trying to get away from the things that we traditionally think about when we're trying to analyze a, a group or a population and and looking more at what are the similarities between the individuals that that we are that we're assessing here to build our persona. So if basically it would be ensuring that when there's distinctions they're meaningful distinctions. So so yeah. Got it. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so the title of this podcast is Three Steps to Create Powerful Learner Personas, and there are three categories that we're going to cover. The first is research, then analysis, and creation. So let's start with research. Let's talk about how to create learner personas, because if we haven't done this before, we wouldn't know how to do it. Those three basic steps that we just mentioned, and it's it's really easy for learning and development professionals to skip the research in the belief that we already understand our learners. Tell us a bit about the research step and why it really can't be missed. The research step is the solid foundation with which to have a persona. It is an extension of your audience analysis that hopefully everybody is doing already. But what's different than that is, what I urge you to do, is to take a deeper look at the research. So look not just at what you've been told about the target audiences, but to actually observe them, uh, look at them, hear them, speak to them, speak to their managers, and and so forth, to really help the uh, assumptions come to life. If yeah. you've ever taken a training course where you're like, huh, you know, gee, the language isn't quite right. Gee, the images aren't quite right. <laughs> um, you know, it, the, the information's fine and all, but you're like, geez, it's not like, doesn't quite look like our office. That could be from not having that solid understanding with which a learner persona is an easier way of helping that come to life. So yeah. a very important step that can't be missed. Sorry, Daniel, didn't mean to almost cut you off a couple of times there. Uh, yeah, that is a, a great example of the importance of getting into the process of doing the research. And a lots of LD teams skip the research when we're talking about forget the persona. I mean, do the actual content and the the challenge that are that are facing the learners, we just trust one or two people who have told us how it is, as opposed to going out and doing the research ourselves. And it sounds like with learner personas, that is that's the same situation where we need to go and we need to do that work ourselves. And we can't just trust the manager said, the supervisor said, the director said, whatever. Somebody told us what's happening and we're just going to go away off in our corner and build some learning. But that we actually need to get out there and connect with the people to understand to understand the challenges that they're facing, to understand who they are, and ultimately to build that learner persona. Exactly. And some ways to do that is by doing some of the easier steps. So firstly, it is by looking at some of the quantitative, the the numerical data that's available, whether that's from HR, from your learning management systems, or what data you have at hand, Um, what's gender representation, what's age representation, those demographics, um, salary bands, um, job roles, and such. Uh, The second element into that, which is where I personally find where it comes to life, is by the qualitative research. So combining both the quantitative and the qualitative. Uh, So the qualitative being the observation, sort of those learning that you have about your audience that you put in words, you can't just put numbers against it. I I personally really enjoy uh, observation, so more of an ethnographic observation. If it's me in the call center, just absorbing everything, holy smokes. Uh, I learned so much from that. 
Um, and then going deeper and talking to the actual learners, observing, meanwhile, observing what they have around their cubicle. I speak to their managers. I'm noticing the disconnect. Speak to their two up managers. I'm noticing that. I'm noticing what's happening at the lunch hour. I'm noticing what's happening like all around the qualitative, all the aspects of the qualitative data. And there's many ways of doing that. Can for, can really help round out who your persona is and provide you a nice a foundation. Yeah, certainly. Thanks for that explanation, because I think when people hear learner personas or learner data, what they think about are strictly those demographic measures. What do we have for our gender split? What do we have for age? What do we have for earnings? And we stop there. And while that information is important, it's not nearly as rich as actually going to and sitting with and observing people and understanding how they behave in this role. Because teams be, will behave differently as well. And you may have you may have two groups that behave very differently and need something very different from a learning perspective. Uh, so that's that's excellent. After we've done our research, we need to take some time at step two, which is to analyze what does analyzing learner persona data look like and what are we looking for? So the analyze steps are very important and um, a somewhat iterative, messy process. This is at this stage, it's important to have the conversations internally with your team to take a step back and draw connections between the data, the data being either quantitative or qualitative. Some things that you uncover, in essence, is a series of meetings. But what you uncover through these series of meetings is things that you may not have directly observed, but you need to now draw inferences and draw connections. Things such like what do you things such like making inferences on what the learner's attitude is on training, making inferences on where the gaps in understanding may be. And understanding, I use the word not about a topic, but just the mental capability at large. Um, and these might be gleaned from conversations with managers and direct reports or your own observations. All these inferences uh, occur best within a collaborative environment. So really drawing upon others who are hopefully either observing with you or maybe if you don't, if that's not the case, it's people's managers, like people who might actually know the learners. Uh, sometimes I've done it with facilitators, those who, again, would encounter the learners. Each of us has a different perspective. And that messy process in these meetings of, in essence, we end up filling out a template. All those inferences are very helpful to create a persona in the end. All right. Fantastic. Next, we've got we've got our research. We've spent some time analyzing the research. Now we want to create our learner persona. It sounds like this is the funnest part. Yeah, this is where the the magic comes into play of creativity. So specifically at this stage, what we end up doing is we give the persona a name. We give them, depending on the circumstances, you know, what school they came from, what program they're in, what their role is, how long they've been at the company, what they love to do in their free time, you know, what's some of the challenges they have in their everyday life, where what a typical day looks like, like where are they waking up? What are they doing? Where are they heading? All those we string to life through a story, like a very short, simple story that helps highlight our key points. And often, again, our, our key points may be um, where learners, ha- what learners want to learn about and why they want to learn about. It's for social reasons. That's why they may want training. 
which is very different from someone who wants training to advance their career. We bring these all to life through a story. And specifically, we'll gather what'll be photos. We put stock photos to help amplify what the persona is. Are you familiar with the exercise of empathy mapping? Yes. What, yeah. what you're describing right now reminds me a lot of empathy mapping. And I had a really interesting experience while working at WestJet with empathy mapping. And in that situation, we had two different groups creating two different empathy maps and two different characters, personas that they created. And then when we started to have a discussion afterwards, something pretty remarkable happened where one group attacked, well, attacked is a strong word, but one group made an assumption about the person on the other side of the room, the other group's persona that they had created. And the group that had created that persona immediately started to defend their their persona, immediately started to defend the individual. And they did so in such a way that it sounded like they were defending someone they knew. And it's incredible how this simple exercise of simply drawing out and creating a story around a person and recognizing that we're we're creating learning for a person, what that does to the psyche of the people working on it. Have you experienced anything like that with, with learner personas? Definitely, because suddenly the persona isn't just a demographic on paper or a psychographic statistic on a piece of paper that really nobody cares about. Suddenly, it's not brought to life. It's Ava that we're talking about. Okay, what are her needs? What are her wants? It's Cindy that we're talking about, what's important to her. It, through the persona activities, allows you to fully experience and empathize with your learner audience. Yeah, that's fantastic. How do you verify that you have your learner persona right? Is is there a process to, to almost do a fact check on it, to go back to your data, go back to your research, and just confirm that you've you've hit the right spot? Or is is it more a is it more by feel? So what we typically do is we base it on data firstly. So it's all based on data. But as I mentioned, we do need to draw inferences, especially within learning and development, where we don't have the budget to create um to spend a year creating a persona so what we tend to do for um sense sense making is to bounce the our personas back with often we use supervisors of the peoples or others not, not the actual audience normally but we do ensure that our stakeholders who often would be the supervisors or somebody closer to the persona is able to go yeah 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 that makes sense so that helps helps ver- verify without getting into with, but very importantly, without going, yes, this is an actual employee because <laughs> these are not real people. It's an archetype. It's it's purposely generalizing information. Yeah, that's perfect. Excellent. Okay, so we've gone through the three steps, research, analyze, and create. But it, this is a quick podcast. We're maybe 20 minutes into things right now. 20 minutes isn't enough for a person to really learn this skill. Can you recommend any resources or any steps a person can take if they want to learn how to create learner personas better? I have a template that actually goes through what you would need to fill out. And I actually have an infographic that walks through how to create a persona and why to create a persona. I'd And an example with that, I'm happy to share it. 
Okay. Uh, is, now, is that publicly available, like something that it, they can grab from your website? Available. Yeah, if you go to beyondthesky.ca, uh, it is available there. Okay, excellent. And for our listeners, we will absolutely include a link to that in the enhanced transcript. So we'll give you a, a direct link right to Danielle's site and, and the work that she's doing there. And I have yeah. other published articles that are widely available on various online magazines on this topic that I can also uh, ensure you have available or made available. Yeah, I, I would really appreciate that. We'll, we can include links to those in the enhanced transcript as well. If we have any TD Magazine readers, look at March 2019. There, uh, Danielle has an article in there on learner personas, which is really nice. I use that to prepare for this podcast. Danielle, if anyone wants to reach you or they want to find you on social media, they want to be in touch with you, how do they reach you? So you can reach me by email at danielle.wallace at beyondthesky.ca, or I'm available on LinkedIn. I am located in Canada, so I'm the Danielle Wallace in Canada, and active on various social media platforms. And I welcome any questions about this topic. We're currently doing many different learner persona activities, so I'm always eager to share back what I'm learning through these as we continually iterate and refine even our own process. Excellent. And is there any other parting thoughts, any big ideas around learner personas that you want to make sure our listeners are left with? Yes, I would say is to go ahead and do it. Don't be daunted by the fact that it's not a full marketing persona activity. This is a short, much smaller intervention. But nonetheless, even with limited time, data, money, it will make a difference to be able to create a persona yeah, to I can, actually help your learning come I, to life. I can absolutely picture a learning and development team of five people or three people sitting in a room and saying, okay, let's draw out our learner personas. What data do we have? What information do we have? Let's create one and see what it does for us. Even if you don't follow the whole process of, of doing this, if you're just trialing and just testing, going through that iterative sort of minimum viable product process, you'll find value in it and that will drive you to want to do it more. I think that's the, you know, it feels like a commitment. We're going to, we really have to do a lot of work to make this happen. A, that's not true. And B, don't do a lot of work. Test it out. Try it. Mm -hmm. And and that's not just for learner personas. That's for a lot of the things that we do in learning and development. Thank you so much for being here today, Danielle. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. And I hope that uh, we can have you on again to talk more about the interesting marketing and learning and development. Wonderful. Thank you so much.